Hey, hi everybody. First, I commend you all for finding this room. Um, it's really ridiculous where we're at. And second, my name is Mike King, and I uh, work for Berkeley College of Music, and I work at the online school. I teach online music business courses. I, I wrote some courses, and I oversee the uh, the marketing and admissions for Berkeley Online. So that's that's why I'm here. One of the things that I try to do in teaching is uh, be a, be a curator. You know, there's uh, I don't have to tell you guys. You guys are here. But there's so many things that are changing all the time, and staying on top of that and trying to advise students on, hey, this is what's happening like right now, um, is something that I really try to work on, you know, um, to be a curator. So, um, what what I love about this panel is these these folks can kind of curate what what they're up to, and what we're going to do today, um, it's different than a normal panel. Uh, what we're going to do today is each of the panelists here who have wonderful background, work at great companies, um, they're going to um, give kind of a 10-minute presentation, um, you know, about data analytics, about what they're doing with, you know, their current company. Um, and we've got four people, four times 10, 40 minutes. We'll have 20 minutes for questions. So um, what, what I'd like to do is um, each panelist, um, each presenter, talk for 10 minutes just kind of move on to the next person and then um, at the end kind of address the questions and maybe we'll be a little bit quicker but um, we can address all of the presenters at that time. Um, does that work all right? Yeah, okay. Uh, great. So um, we're actually going to, uh, I'm actually going to ask everybody to um, uh, introduce themselves. We'll start, Karen, um, down with you. Yeah, hi guys. My name is Kiran Balubi. I'm the founder and CEO of Applause. Uh, I started the company around four or five years ago, not knowing that I'd ever be part of the music industry. It was quite an accident that I'm here, actually. Um, you know, we, uh, we started with a bunch of music apps. Uh, one of the big ones was Band of the Day. I don't know if anyone's heard of it, uh, but it had about six and a half, seven million installs. And um, it didn't make us any money. <laughs> so we were trying to figure out how to... Um, how to generate revenue and keep the team that we had worked so hard to build. Um, and after having talked to a bunch of artists, uh, we, we, we kept sort of being pushed into the touring side of the business. Um, so that's sort of where Applause was uh, born. Um, so Applause, in its essence, is a direct-to-fan ticketing platform and a tour analytics platform. There's a whole bunch of features behind it and stuff, and I'll show you a few of them. But really, the best way to to see it in action is to um, is to work with one of the agencies that that we work with, or uh, a bit some of the big management companies that we work with, um, or just uh, try to try us out on one of the tours for your artists. Really, so um, you know we've been uh, quite lucky in the past 14 months or so. Um, you know, about two years ago, we had just two acts on our platform today we have uh, you know close to 200 uh, some of the top touring acts in the world are using the platform to really understand uh, how their fans behave um, and what the makeup of these fans is what the fans look like and so on and so forth so um, Here, let's, um, yeah we'll just we'll oh, just sorry. do a quick introduction I'm sorry, I just yeah no problem thing. yeah no problem go ahead my name is Matt um, and I got into technology um, by way of being an artist and, and spending a lot of years performing. And, and um, I wanted a certain kind of a tool that I couldn't find anywhere. So 
some friends and I sat down and um, went through a process of trying to design what we thought we needed. And after going through a whole lot of iterations on it, we came up with what we eventually launched and put into the market is a platform called Artist Growth. Um, and basically what we do is we help artists and their teams um, manage all of the information about their business. So the different revenue streams, their expenses, all the logistics of running day-to-day -day operations and things like that. And then we, uh, and we try to help them aggregate that information as well to cut down in, on data entry time and, and sort of you know, time lost doing menial tasks like that. And then once we have it aggregated, try to give them a little bit of insight um, into their business from the data and then also help connect them to other people that they might be able to um, partner with or benefit from as a result of having that, that the picture that data creates. And I'm looking forward to talking to you guys about it. So thanks for having me. Thanks. I'm Aaron. I'm the founder and CEO of Music Play Analytics. Uh, we identify the music played in businesses so the right songwriters get paid by the performing rights organizations. And I come at this from a, being a former musician myself and came to realize that I was missing out on this very valuable revenue stream and I wanted to fix it for all other songwriters out there. Thank you. Uh, hi everyone, good afternoon. Thanks for coming back after lunch, especially for a data talk. Um, my name is Lee Bully. I'm the data journalist at uh, a company called Next Big Sound. Uh, we were acquired by Pandora a couple of months ago, but Next Big Sound essentially is an analytics platform that aggregates social sales, streaming, and event data into a single place. Uh, and we work with everyone from the major labels to independents to uh, managers to artists themselves and uh, serve up this data to them in one central platform. Uh, my role at the company as a data journalist is to write articles around events and artists and trends in the in industry. Uh, I work very closely with the data science team to do research on this kind of massive volume of data it is that we collect and help people make more accurate and informed decisions using this information. And uh, we'll talk through some of the, the research that we've been doing in a little bit. Nice. Um, so yeah, as I, as I mentioned, um, we're kind of going to go through each person. We're going to give like a kind of a 10 minute presentation. At the end, we'll have 20 minutes for questions and you know, these folks can dig in deeper into what their companies do, um, hopefully uh, dig in deeper into how um, to properly use uh, data. Um, so Karen, do you wanna, yeah. do you wanna start? Uh, so, like I was saying before, there's a consumer-facing aspect to what Applause does, which is, uh, you know, consumers can download the app or on uh, access, you know, through the artist websites, they can actually access inventory um, through for uh, the inventory specific to pre-sales and fan club sales right now. That's the majority of the inventory that we sell. We also do merchandise and VIP experiences uh, at the venue. Uh, so there's a consumer-facing experience that you guys can try out on the Android as well as on the iOS uh, thing and on the mobile app. But we've also built a bunch of tools for artists that they can install on their website. And in each of these channels, each, at each point, what we're trying to do is capture a lot of the consumer behavior and consumer data and relay that back to artists in a meaningful way. Uh, so, you know, if you if you look at um, the analytics aspect itself, um, I can just walk you through this really quick. Um, you know, for for artists that are on our platform, um, you know once they install the widgets on their website, they essentially start to understand a lot of traffic patterns, um, you know, that that uh, that come with sort of spiky behavior, 
when you announce a tour or an album you understand sort of your click through rate and your page views this is all sort of google analytics but making it much more simple um you also understand the kinds of traffic that are coming to your web to website you know a lot of people sort of spend on social media but really for certain types of bands we've noticed uh, organic traffic is really even more key than you know stuff that you do on facebook and twitter so we try to accentuate some of that some of the gut you know responses that managers might have um you know traffic by devices and you know tra tablet traffic dropping and stuff might actually help you uh you know spend better your it budgets one interesting thing that we've also done is we we track about 80000 events um across the world on um every week and that allows us to create uh, what we call uh, competing event reports and we we do this as a almost as a what if analysis for um, for managers and agents so you know tour itineraries that get created and get you know changed constantly get fed into the system and then you can actually identify you know say uh, tap into nashville i can actually see as a manager and agent who i'm competing against both in terms of sports as well as music so you know this is interesting data that you might or may you, you might use to change your routing in in certain ways all of this data and all the analytics associated with it are free uh to the to the managers and and the agents that that are on the platform so you can invite you know you, you can invite your team members and things like that and 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 look at sales data all of this is also all of it also works in real time so you know uh, when you do a big tour announcement and sales start um occurring on various channels you want to be able to track them in real time and not have spreadsheets flying about which is what used to happen before you know applause um started working with these artists we're also providing them um with really interesting e-commerce metrics for the first time in this industry so funnel dynamics you know what exactly is happening how many people are looking at your event views how many dollars were in play there how many people added to cart and actually how many people purchased what is your overall conversion rate and does that change by city what this helps you do is um you know for a lot of the artists you intrinsically understand as a good manager and agent what is a primary market what is a secondary market but now you're able to quantify it with data so your to your conversations become a lot more interesting you know they become real um you can also track over time how your artist is performing in primary or secondary markets um then just a last few things i just want to talk about very quickly we 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 also uh so the technology that we've built also helps you understand specific uh, posts and how they relate to ROI so when you're doing facebook posts or, or or tweets you want to understand how how exactly that's helping sales um you know in in our case we care a lot about ticketing sales we're also helping artists with you know digital downloads and stuff and sound scan reporting and so on and so forth but that's a that's kind of a tertiary part of our business we mostly focus on touring acts and how to help them sell more tickets um now it gets interesting so um fans that have purchased from you you know the behavior that they exhibit these these dark dots are basically clusters of five or more people and you can see the densities of of people around you know your tour dates um on the right hand side here this is just these these are cohorts that have been created for you on the fly 
So this is just telling you that 12.6% of your fan base that bought tickets on a pros earns over 200,000. So for example, you know, for a lot of our acts, we've had um, highly targeted Facebook campaigns as well as email campaigns for various cohorts. You could potentially for this specific data set, you could say, you know, send an email to the people that earn over 200,000 for uh, VIP meet and greets that are $150 or over. Um, the conversion rates on those are spectacular, you know, because you're, you're not only are you doing analysis through this tool, you're also using it for marketing and it's happening in real time and you don't have to hire anybody else to do it. You can do it yourself by clicking various things. Um, you know, there's entire like a demographic distribution of male, female and age groups. All of this happens on the fly. Uh, so you can actually target, say, um, you know, males in this cohort that make up 18.3% of your purchase, you know, fans. And then, um, interested fans that did not purchase for a specific tour. Now, this is really interesting. When, when we work with acts over multiple tours, uh, we, we believe, and with data, we can sort of corroborate this, um, that the leakiest part of the funnel for touring acts today is the, that they go and grab fans in various channels, bring them to their websites to convert, but they do not convert. So for whatever reason, they were busy that day, the ticket prices weren't good enough, the venues were not you know, to their liking, et cetera, et cetera, various reasons, but they've already expressed intent to purchase. The next time you do a tour, again, you, you do the same thing and you waste ad dollars doing that. So in, in our world, when we work with artists, we provide retargeting, the, uh, the ability to retarget these fans on various channels all automatically. So you don't have to hire say Gupta Media or someone to do this for you and pay 20% of your ad dollars for it as well. Um, so the goal for us is to create a platform that's you know built on transactions that you are doing anyways, but creating a business intelligence tool around those transactions. So creating a lot more value for you as an artist. And that's what we do. Awesome. Yeah. Hey. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, Matt, please go ahead. For those of you coming in late, what we're going to do is 10-minute um, presentations for everybody, yeah. questions at the end about any of the services or any, um, anything else on data or analytics. Thank you. There's a couple empty seats up here, too, if you guys are tired of standing. All right, let me get this thing in. There we go. Yeah, okay, cool. Can you guys hear me okay? Yep, okay. So at, at Artist Growth, um, whoop, did we just lose the feed? There we go. We kind of come at data from a, a bit of a different perspective. We didn't start out by trying to plug into uh, a bunch of different sources, whether it be you know fan engagement with downloads or, or ticket sales or things like that, um, in order to acquire data that we could then build intelligence out of. We, we focused real... Uh, I guess the best way to say it is on, um, on information that when we first started wasn't being collected and aggregated in mass because it was living on people's individual hard drives, um, whether it be in a system like FileMaker Pro or Excel or, or Access uh, from a database that somebody had built themselves or someone at a management company had built and shared with all the other managers. 
Um, this is information like uh, you know, scheduling and contacts and event guarantees and promoter credits and uh, production reimbursements and things that aren't very interesting sounding when you bring them up. It's all the logistics of running a tour and running live events and, and the expenses, things you spend on advertising or that you spend on the studio or on a promoter. Um, all the ins and outflows of a business that, you know, if you really know how to manipulate data inside of Excel, you could spend a lot of time and you could build yourself some information out of. But most of the artists that we were talking with, myself included, um, wasn't very good at that. So we came at it saying, well, let's build a system that people can use as a daily workflow tool. Um, their calendar, their show advancing, their merchandise, things like that. And by way of them utilizing a system as part of their daily workflow tool to create efficiencies in their process, will aggregate data that we can then turn around and create insights for them with and create visualizations for them. And so, so that was really our approach to data. Um, and then once we started aggregating enough of it, then our, the question became, well, how can we take snapshots of this information and pass it off with, with our client's permission, of course, to other people they might want to partner with, especially at the earlier stage um, of artist careers. And so we've created a program now that um, allows an artist to give us permission um, and we will take a snapshot of their data inside of a certain time frame, and um, we've partnered with about 135 different major record labels, independent record labels, management companies, and booking agencies that we now send data to on a monthly basis that isn't just social media data or download data, but it's number of shows, average venue size, capacity, you know, actual merch sale numbers, ticket sale numbers, average guarantee, things like that. I'll show you guys a snapshot of it, but just as sort of a baseline, the way, the way we kind of got into the whole you know, building analytics and building intelligence out of data was really just trying to give people a way to take information that they were, that was falling through the cracks all the time because it was inside of emails and inside of texts and on hard drives. And so there was no real team collaboration and sharing in the cloud. So that, that was really what, why we built Artist Growth. And I didn't put together a deck. I thought it would be better if I just quickly walked you through the actual system so you could see kind of what it does and then how it kind of turns in, into analytics and, and uses the information to kind of create insights. So this first slide, you know, this would be, there'd be one of those for every artist that you had on your roster. You come in and you'll see at the top, it's like events. It's pretty straightforward logistical stuff, events, tasks, tour merge, finances, and then reporting. Um, this is like, you know, a six month routing calendar that if you're, if you're familiar, you know, with the booking agency software or anything like that, you, you've probably seen this format before. Um, you can look at it any number of ways. Uh, one of the big things that um, was problematic, you know, when we first started introducing this to people, they're like, oh, so I got to enter all this information into your system. Um, so we built an API that we now pull information from sources that are publicly available, like Songkick or Bands in Town, or privately available. Depending on who the artist is, we pull data from various booking agencies, um, promoter companies, or live event companies like Live Nation. And so depending on who someone is, that we're working with, we can aggregate their data for them from a number of different sources. So this stuff just sort of shows up every night or refreshes and pulls in new data. Um, and then you can you can synchronize our calendar with Google Cal and iCal and Outlook. So you can, you can streamline your team and, and you can add, as you add people to the team, you can give them very specific data access permissions so they only see what they're supposed to see depending on their role. Whether it's a promoter or a publicist or an agent or the manager or somebody at a label who's doing digital marketing or, or something like that. Um, if, you, if you go into an event, this is where uh, the, the data analytics stuff comes in. You know, 
for every show, we either pipe it in from somewhere or people will enter things like their ticket sales or their guarantee or what the walkout is supposed to be or the total deposit received by the venue. Again, it's all information that is usually not somewhere where you can aggregate it, say for like an entire management company, like, like a red light or a vector management. The managers at those companies have that information in Excel or in FileMaker or something like that, but by way of them putting it in here, it allows us to create sort of an executive dashboard for the people at the company that says company-wide, this is what you're doing, or, or for a manager who has five artists on their roster, uh, here's what your five artists are doing collectively and your commissions and things like that. So we're able to offer them sort of across the roster uh, insights that are really hard to build and take a lot of time to build if you're running each one of your acts in, in its own Excel file or its own database like, like FileMaker. So this puts it all up in the cloud and allows us to, to manipulate the data. Um, so this is just an example of some of that. You know, you've got your deal info there, um, finances, um, you've got everything from ticket sales to the promoter credit to the management credit. And some of this stuff, again, doesn't seem like it's not as sexy on the front end when you talk about like mass fan engagement across Spotify or Pandora or things like that and locating your fans on a map. That's all very, very powerful and relevant, but there are so many companies getting into that. Um, and our vision really wasn't a, a, about trying to, you know, reinvent the wheel with how people were interacting with their fans or, or tracking that engagement or that, that relationship. It was much more about let's, let's go behind the scenes in the business and see what we can streamline and what kind of intelligence we can glean by knowing how much somebody is spending on, you know, advancing shows and promoting shows and things like that and comparing that across markets. Um, and so by way of utilizing this system, all of that stuff starts to get aggregated over time. Um, you know, the rest of the stuff's pretty straightforward. It's, you know, the schedules, uh, travel information, and the expenses related to it. Um, again, each data point on its own can sound pretty boring, but when you start to put it all together into one system, you can really start to paint an interesting picture. And this is an area as a company that we're just now getting into, is really starting to paint visualizations across what it looks like when you compare all the different um, business expenses and revenues and logistical stuff into a visualization that correlates with maybe their, their tour routing um, or data from another partner or service that we might have, like a distributor, and we're starting to pull in the data that they get back from, from the various you know, online venues that they distribute music to or, or different kinds of content. Um, tour merch, same thing. Uh, it, it's basically calculating all of the, the sales uh, you know, the nightly counts for an event, so data that we're collecting in the system is each individual piece of merchandise every single night on the tour, how much each one was sold for, how much the pricing fluctuated, et cetera. Um, again, when you look at it in the aggregate, it, it allows you to, to paint some really interesting pictures. Um, and this is where we start to do that. Um, so one of, the, one of the ways that we use data to, to try to create uh, sort of informed decisions for our clients as we look at their projected revenues and their projected expenses against which they've actually done. It's all tied to the calendar and what's been booked, what's been confirmed, what's tentative, um, and how much uh, they have actually settled and closed on and transactions that have actually occurred in their business and then looking at the net and bouncing them off each other and then giving roll up, like this is a very simple thing, but just inside of a certain date range, you can see the, the, the sort of rolled up gross of each category of inflows and outflows of expenses. So we codify every single transaction that comes through the system, you know, whether it's royalties or endorsement money or overages or credits paid to promoters or by promoters, um, advertising expenses. And then over time, 
we kind of roll those up into a growth so you can see where the major bleed points are and where the major influx of revenue points are for a certain business. Um, and then we'll take something, you know, this is a, this is a, a visualization that uh, we built for some of our clients that we, we found there was much broader interest in, but it basically just shows what percent capacity the venue is sold in real time um, for the different venues on your tour. So as you're, as you're looking across all the different cities you're moving into and you're getting ticket counts, you know, a manager is receiving ticket counts from the booking agency uh, or from a promoter, um, it can get ingested into our system and then we can quickly kind of make it so they can consume it really quickly on the fly and understand sort of where they are. Um, and then, you know, paint into this map, well, how much are they spending in that market this time versus the last time they were there and how does the trend look over time? And this is all directions of where we're heading um, as a company as it relates to, you know, actionable data and analytics is really taking these small pieces of, inf of information around what the business is doing, what the business is spending, what it's making, what the sales look like, and kind of allowing you to look at different markets over time and trend how you're performing in those based on decisions that you make in terms of marketing spend or promotional spend, and then hopefully be able to make smarter decisions and, and pick better partners um, over time as you go back to these markets time and time again. And, and you know, fan engagement, um, ticket sales, streaming, downloads, all of that stuff is incredibly important. And I think over time, based on some of the partnerships we have now who actually do collect that data, you'll see more and more of that folding into this data set and us sort of sending it um, to their companies as well so they're able to include it in the different analytics reports that they're creating. Um, one concrete example of how we are taking this information for the benefit of, of some of our clients is, is, ha is exporting it actually. Um, I mentioned earlier uh, that we'll take a snapshot of information like this, like what you see here is one row out of a report um, that we now distribute um, to hundreds of independent record companies and management companies and booking agencies and, and even major labels at Sony and Universal um, every month. Um, now this is mostly the earlier stage artists who are independent who don't have record deals and don't have managers at management companies representing them but they're looking to forge those uh, relationships and those partnerships and um, this is an example, this is all dummy data actually, I'm not showing you an actual band and their real information. Um, and each of the people we send it to has contractual relationship with us and limits their ability about what they can and can't do with it. But essentially it's a different way for them to evaluate and, and learn about early stage artists or artists who are just starting out that's in a much more quantified way as opposed to looking at their Twitter following or their YouTube following. If when I was on tour and a lot of the independent artists that I, you know, am friends with and work with and that we see inside of our system might have a really what would be considered as a dismal Twitter following uh, when you look at the scale of what some people's Twitter following looks like or their YouTube presence, but they're playing, you know, 180 shows a year and they're grossing, you know, north of $150,000 and nobody knows who they are in the business because they're based in, uh, you know, a small town in Colorado and they just tour and tour and tour and tour and they don't really understand everything about the business and and so we what we do is we kind of roll up a snapshot of this information and then we pass it off to all of our partners at the labels and management companies and agencies and try to help them you know look at these artists based on well yeah they may not be killing it in social media but they're actually touring and they're building markets and they're building fan bases so you can see these are actual these would be actual numbers um, from their accounts with us about their sales about the number of shows they've done, et cetera. And so that's really how we come at data, is trying to 
uh, help our clients make better decisions by aggregating some of the more concrete business expenses and revenues that they collect over time by way of using our tool as a, as a workflow tool, and then also taking that data and helping them to forge kind of new relationships to the best that we can um, with that information. That, that before we came along, there wasn't really a place where this stuff was getting aggregated. Um, like I said, it lived mostly on people's individual computers. Um, and so, so that's kind of how we come at it. That's great, Matt, thank you. Yeah. Um, Aaron, I'm gonna give you a little bit of a lead in. Um, uh, I started my career at a record label called Disc in 1997, and over time uh, you discover like completely bizarre things in the music industry. Um, and one thing that I always thought was odd was um, how performance royalties um, are um, uh, kind of collected and calculated. Um, and in, in speaking with Aaron, um, I'm interested in his company and, and how he's uh, started something that is looking to make that process a little bit more, um, to use kind of a buzzy word, transparent, but it's true. Um, so do you want to um, talk a little bit? Yeah, so specifically what we're talking about doing is creating some transparency within what's called the general license space. So for any of the uninitiated out there, what, what happens is if you have a bar or a nightclub or a music venue, you have to pay a license to the performing rights organizations in your country of business. And that's essentially the entrance fee, the right to play music or broadcast music and host bands. Um, now traditionally the PROs have always assumed that the music played on the radio is the same as that played in a business and then they've taken all this money collected from these different establishments and there's hundreds of thousands of them around the US and millions probably around the world and they've distributed it to whoever is on the radio. So if your band was touring relentlessly and you wrote all your music but you weren't on the radio when the rights organization did a sampling then you weren't getting paid for this money and that's exactly what happened with my band. We were playing 200 plus shows a year, we wrote all of our own music, and we were performing in some pretty big clubs. So the money that's getting deducted from our ticket sales every night was quite substantial. I estimated that, you know, this is back of the napkin math here, but over the course of my 10-year career, our band missed out on about half a million dollars of royalties. Um, now, my personal stake was $100,000, and I know it's probably not a whole lot of money to a lot of people out here, but where I'm from, that could have paid off my mortgage. <laughs> so I was a little upset, and I wanted to fix that problem so other songwriters uh, wouldn't suffer similar financial fates. Uh, I also don't want to throw the, the PROs under the bus here because this tech... <laughs> I'll let you do it, but uh, you know, I think the PROs, uh, historically, they haven't had access to this technology on, on a financially viable, uh, or, you know, by financially viable means. Now the, the cost of this technology has come down significantly, so it, it actually makes sense to bring something like this to market. Uh, so that's really the reason why we exist. It isn't really getting, doesn't get into the analytics part of our business. Um, so I want to talk about some of the tangible ways in which we're going to utilize this location-based music performance data to hopefully generate more money for artists and, and maybe make some valuable connections between a, a particular song and a brand because let's, I think the music industry as a whole needs to come to terms with the fact that even though we're in a creative industry, our product that we're creating is a commodity and its real economic value is um, constrained when you only think about it in terms of that exact commodity. The real power and economic value of music is in its ability to sell other products. Apple wouldn't exist if it weren't for music. You know, the iPod 
would not exist if it weren't for the iTunes store. If you go back and look at the numbers, it had terrible adoption rates compared to where it is today. And that single event of the iTunes store launch kicked off a whole series of other product launches that result in Apple being one of the most valuable companies in the world. So let's try to tie that in. And, and we're kind of doing that on, on, a, on a lower level. We're not going to be, uh, I don't think, connecting brands or bands to other apples out there and allowing them to take equity stakes in these companies. But uh, we're doing it in, in, in other ways. So um, you know, one of the things that we're able to do is understand what music is played in a given establishment and then provide that information to a band and allow them to make a judgment call on where they're going to actually perform. You know, there is a fundamental difference between a club like Slim's here in town or the Warfield. And if you're not playing in the right establishment, then you could be leaving a lot of money on the table. Now, a lot of times concert promoters come in and they'll buy out a tour and they'll just say, here's your guarantee. And it's a little bit more than you would typically make in any other establishment. But, you know, if your fans aren't coming to that given establishment, then you're not going to sell as much in merch. And therefore, you're not going to have as many people walking around advertising your brand out there in the real world and not as many people are going to find out about you and that's going to you know hamper your growth exponentially over time so let's take a look at where your music is played you know in between every set out there somebody is putting music on and they're putting music on because they think that that music is relevant to the people that are in that crowd so we can derive insights into that and we should be leveraging that information to more effectively route our tours um, you know, this is kind of on the horizon for us, but I want to tie in the music played in these in these establishments with bar sales because I think that's really important for uh, particularly nightclubs to understand what that proper ebb and flow is between having people on the dance floor enjoying themselves where you're not making any money uh, and then sending them to the bar. So what does your set list look like? How, how long should... Um, you'd be playing music that they really like versus at some point putting something new on where they don't necessarily know it, don't care for it, and they're going to go to the bar and buy a drink, and that's where you're going to make your real money. So let's let's uncover uh, that, that comparison, and our data enables that exact thing to happen. Um, you know, Again, once we get into the POS stuff, I think you can take a look at more precisely what, you know, not only how much, uh, you know, what your bar sales are, but what people are actually buying and you and if you uncover that your band um, sells a lot of Red Bull at your your concert you can take that information back to Red Bull and perhaps get a sponsorship for your tour and put real money in your pockets so that's just some of the uses for this data um, that we're talking about I think you know fundamentally music is the most valuable art form ever and um, I think we just need to utilize data more and more to uncover that true economic potential thanks Aaron uh, leave. Um, and can we get the cord down here yeah. for the computer, Matt? Oh, yeah. So sorry. Wow. Looks like we got a crowded room. Welcome, everyone. And we were worried that nobody was going to come. Brian Zisk <laughs> needs better remote. analytics around, uh, you know, draw. <laughs> Three tough acts to follow and then a fully crowded room. No pressure at all, guys. <laughs> so um, just to recap. My name is Lee Bully. I'm a data journalist at Next Big Sound, which is a music analytics platform. Um, I'm going to talk you guys through a bunch of the research uh, that we've been working on at Next Big Sound for the last couple of years. Um, you know, specifically, I want to talk to you about just the sheer growth that we're seeing in the sector of what we're tracking and how much that's changed over time, even in just uh, the few short years since I started at Next Big Sound. 
Um, then I want to start talking to you a little bit about providing context around the numbers that we're looking at and starting to break it down, look at individual networks, uh, looking at user behavior and how that can kind of inform uh, how to use this data a little bit more. And then finally, I want to talk about specific decisions that people within the music industry can make by leveraging this data. And these are just a few examples of you know, the hundreds of questions that you can ask of this type of data and get tangible answers to and make more informed decisions in a music industry where the margins are becoming tighter and tighter. So milestone year, guys, in the first six months of 2015, we tracked more than one trillion streams. Let's say that again, one trillion streams. It's kind of crazy exciting. Um, to give you some context, all of last year, we tracked 454 billion streams. The first year I did, we do biannual state of the industry reports, which kind of take a deep look on, on um, at the data and everything that's going on. The first one I did was after 2012, and I remember telling everybody like, oh my god, we tracked 100 Gangnam Styles this year, crazy guys. This is, you know, 100 times that. So we're seeing some incredible growth in the sector, 150 plays for every man, woman, and the child, woman and child on the planet. And this is across, you know, a bunch of major services, everything from Pandora, RDO, Spotify, SoundCloud, Vivo, Vimeo, and YouTube. Um, so this is just the activity that we're seeing in terms of plays. We also tracked close to 14 billion new fans added uh, across a bunch of these platforms. Uh, and if we think about what that kind of social reach could imply for artists and how the interaction between artists and fans um, is changing over the time and what that relationship looks like now versus what it looked like 20 years ago and how much easier it is to reach your fans and how you can leverage that fan base in order to sell more tickets to shows or sell more merch or sell more music. Uh, it's this huge uh, I don't want to say untapped area of potential for artists to fan marketing, but um, definitely a very large area in which they can reach fans directly. So these numbers are super exciting, super overwhelming. People hear a trillion streams and they you know, are going, oh my god, but what can you actually do knowing these you know, massive numbers. What can you actually start to learn uh, if you start breaking it down by network, if you start breaking it down by user behavior? So we've done a bunch of research around this and I wanted to highlight some of the most interesting things that we found uh, in 2015. You know, one is this immense growth on Instagram. Uh, in May, we tracked uh, 280 million new followers for artists in a single month and that's not uh, all followers on Instagram. That's literally the number of followers that artists have added on Instagram in one month. Uh, that's six times what we tracked the year before. So starting to think about a platform like Instagram as a place for artists to be able to reach fans. Uh, and not that I'm insinuating that every single artist in the world should go on Instagram and they'll definitely sell a million albums and do a fantastic job as an artist and have a great career. Um, if you think about the amount of sources that Next Big Sound is tracking, 30 different sources, 200 different metrics, start to, as an artist, it's important to think about 
you know, what are my strengths? Am I an extremely visual artist? Am I able to communicate who I am as an artist and speak with fans and build this relationship through a platform like Instagram? Then I can leverage this as a way to reach them. Am I quippier? Am I funny? Do I tell jokes and all my friends laugh? Well, maybe I'm better on Twitter. But playing to your strengths and leveraging what, it, what, what these platforms are, and they're essentially just a way to reach your fans and tell them what's going on with you as an artist and build this loyal relationship that helps sell whatever it is you're selling as an artist, i.e. tickets, merch, um, music. Uh, another interesting source is SoundCloud. We see them grow steadily year over year, and we've been watching them for a while. It's very exciting. But SoundCloud is stuck between a rock and a hard place. I think um, I'm sure that everyone here reads music industry news enough to know that they've been in lengthy negotiations with all of the majors uh, and with different services in order to you know, figure out how are they going to monetize their service. Uh, and with us tracking close to 5 billion plays in a single month for them in May 2015, you're seeing activity on this platform really explode compared to what it was a few, just a few years back. Um, but the issue here is SoundCloud's going to want to see that activity remain at that same level, whatever those negotiations net out in. So if they start to charge users for this service, they want to see the, this, this play count continue to grow at a similar, if not even higher, rate. Um, Wikipedia is probably one of my favorite sources. It's a very interesting data source. We did some research a while back about how social correlates to sales. Uh, and found that Wikipedia is a leading indicator of digital album sales. And the way I think about it is this, like people will hear your track on the radio or in a bar or somewhere, they'll come across your music, someone will tell them about it, and they're willing to invest in purchasing that single track. But before fans are going to invest in your entire album, they are going to go to a computer and they are going to Google your name and they are going to figure out who you are. Um, this doesn't mean or doesn't imply that you can drive traffic to Wikipedia and you're going to sell a bunch of albums. Basically what it indicates is that people are seeking information about you as an artist and they want that information and they are able to access it through the internet. And that it's important to ensure that that information is accurate and up to date at all times because people are going there to learn more about you as an artist. Um, this slide shows something interesting that started happening um, I don't know if you've noticed that Google started highlighting a section of the Wikipedia pages directly in the search results for artists. Um, so you Google their name and you don't actually have to click through to their Wikipedia page in order to you know, learn a bit of information about the artist. So we're actually seeing you know, activity on average decline for artists on these metrics, but on this metric. But if you look at activity for specific artists around um, release dates, so 21 Pilots is a good example. Uh, they released what I believe is their third or fourth album this spring, and it was the first album they ever released that went to the top of the Billboard 200 chart. And if you look at Wikipedia, Wikipedia activity for that artist around the time of release, there's a bunch of activity there. Spikes around the release, people looking up 21 Pilots, figuring out who they are before they go and they buy their album. So despite the fact that we're seeing somewhat of a decline in activity directly to the Wikipedia page, it's very important for artists and their teams to make sure that this information is accurate and up to date. Uh, another thing that we came across over the years, you know, looking at different artists and the relationships between their Facebook following and their Twitter following and their Instagram or whatever, uh, this thing kept popping up for me over and over again. And that was that Latin artists had a disproportionately larger following on Facebook than they had on any other service. 
And the fun thing about working with a data scientist and get to and, and looking at these um, services in aggregate is that you get to figure out that you were right. So we took a look at activity across all of the services on average, and then we compared that to what the activity was on Facebook. And about 5% of the page likes that occurred in the first six months of 2015, uh, or sorry, I'm wrong, the year from summer 2014 to summer 2015, 5% um, of that activity was for Latin artists, and on average it's only 2% across every source. So basically what that means is that Latin artists have a disproportionately larger fan base on Facebook than they have on other services. So for instance, if I am managing Bomba Estereo or some other Latin act, I want to make sure that their Facebook page is someone, something that I leverage. So this is the um, you know, overall activity on the different networks and what's happening there and some of the learnings we can take from that and how we can use that information to make smarter decisions. But then there's another way of looking at it and that's that what it means to have 70,000 Facebook page likes and what it means to have 7 million Facebook page likes are two very different things. And if you're managing an artist that's small and just coming out, um, you're going to want to benchmark performance against other artists that are of a similar size or that you're aspiring to versus the Taylor Swifts and the Beyonce's of the world. If you're comparing yourself to Taylor Swift, you're always going to be underperforming. So how do we take this massive amount of data and start to break it down into kind of buckets that you can use to benchmark performance? So we did some research and we built something that we called Artist Stages. And basically it's based on milestones in an artist's career and the median size of social following for an artist when they hit that specific milestone. And we're talking about looking at about a million artists in our system, so we're able to kind of build these fairly accurate benchmarks that you can use to decipher what stage you are in of your career as an artist. So the initial bucket would be undiscovered artists. We found that um, most artists will sign with a label when they have about 20,000 Facebook page likes or 5,000 Twitter followers or less than a million YouTube views. Um, that's when labels have started, or A&R teams have started to figure out who they are. They've started to figure out whether or not they want to sign this artist and eventually sign them at around that size. Um, artists that are promising are currently working on their debut studio efforts. They have within a range of 20 to 200,000 Facebook page likes, up to 80,000 Twitter followers, and are seeing a number of YouTube or even Vivo views somewhere in between 1 million and 7 million. And at this point, they're kind of starting to establish themselves in the industry. My mom will not know who they are, but if you work in the music industry, maybe you know their name. Then artists will graduate to the established stage. At this point, they're looking at wanting to do a national televised appearance, something like Conan or Jimmy Kimmel, and that's how they start to get their name out there. Uh, and that's how people start to figure out who they are. Uh, and this is a fairly large bucket from 200,000 to 500,000 Facebook pins, 80 to 300,000 Twitter followers. Um, and again, these, these artists are still starting to establish themselves. Not everyone will heard of the, have heard of them, but a lot of people have. They then graduate on to mainstream. This is in fact the biggest bucket. Um, and not everybody graduates from this stage to the next, but this is where most artists will be known. Uh, at this point, my mom probably knows who they are. Um, but here from 600,000 to 10 million Facebook fans. So this is a fairly large group, 300,000 followers on Twitter to 2 million, uh, and anywhere between 40 and 400 million YouTube or Vivo views. And then finally, oh, and these artists have usually hit somewhere around the top five slots of the Billboard 200. So they're fairly well known. 
And then we have the Beyonce's, the Taylor Swift's of the world, where the you know social following is absolutely massive. They have more than 10 million Facebook fans, more than 2 million Twitter followers, more than 400 million YouTube or Vivo views. Uh, and at this point, my mom definitely knows who they are and has probably listened to them on YouTube. Um, but again, the way you've got to think about this is you shouldn't be benchmarking your performance against epic artists if you are an undiscovered artist. And you want to think about um, comparing what's happening with you online with what's happening to other artists, either in the next bucket up that you aspire to be, um, or other artists that are similar to you, and start thinking more um, logically about how it is you benchmark performance. So these are some of the things that we can learn from looking at stuff in aggregate and and the overall kind of trends in the industry. But what are some specific, tangible decisions that I, as an artist, or my, my team can make using this data? Um, so we built a tool called Find. Uh, this is an A&R tool, and this helps you kind of dig through the million artists that Next Big Sound is tracking. You can choose whatever criteria is top of mind to you. So say you're looking for an EDM act, then you're going to want to maybe look at something like SoundCloud. Uh, if you're looking to find somebody who is, you know, um, who has a strong kind of social following on something like Instagram, if you're looking to identify whether or not someone has a high likelihood of hitting the Billboard 200 in a year, which is the success the likelihood of success algorithm that we built at Next Big Sound, you can choose any one of these metrics and start to dig down and surface artists um, that have some traction online. And the way I like to explain our data is, first of all, every single data point is an interaction between an artist and a fan. So it's important to look at this. Second of all, this data will take you 99% of the way there. but. Music is an art form, and you are never going to get away from the idea of having to use your ear to know whether or not something is good. But if you're thinking about a pool of a million artists that are in consideration for you as an A&R, um, as someone who works in A&R, if you can narrow that pool to, say, 10, probably makes your job a little bit easier in terms of which shows should you be going to see, who should you be considering for signing. Another super cool business decision we've seen users make um, using Next Big Sound is determining the next single off of an album, right? So you release an album, uh, and it's going well, and it's getting traction online. You can go in and you can look at this activity broken down by track and start to see where you're over-indexing, who's listening, or what are people listening to the most, what's resonating the most with fans, and then choose that, or use that as one of the criteria to choose your next single for an album and figure out how to promote it using this information. And the last thing I wanted to show is, you know, it, it very much depends on how granular the data sources that we have at Next Big Sound are and how much information you can glean from them. But something super cool that we've been able to look at since we integrated Pandora data, and there are other sources that we have that have this data at this granular level as well. But this is looking at artist station ads for FediWAP across the United States. So if I work on FediWAP's management team, I'm going to want to look at this data when I start to think about where it is I should be spending local marketing dollars, or where is it I should be routing a tour. And this changes over time. I want to go in here and I want to look at this and watch this happen over time and understand how it is I can take what is probably a small budget, at least compared to what it was 20 years ago, and spend those dollars wisely to ensure that we're maximizing revenue from any tour or from any promotion that we're doing for an artist. So that was my uh, spiel. Streaming is growing, yay. Reach is growing, yay. Transparency is growing, yay. 
Uh, and I think we're all working on tools that are super valuable to artists and that can help us make um, kind of the most informed decisions possible. We know that people that use Next Big Sound, it's something we think about a lot, and I'm sure all of you do. We work in a music industry, and data is maybe not what I want to spend most of my day working on. So we want to build tools and create and do research and allow people that work in the music industry to spend two to five minutes on this a day and make really smart decisions using it. Um, that's it. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you all. Um, so. Questions? Uh, there's going to be a microphone going around. This fella here. I think Liv's uh, point-up benchmark. Leave. Sorry, leave. That's <laughs> okay. Leave. I think your point-up benchmarking is really interesting, and I'm really interested to see what Matt and Kieran think about it. Um, it seems like you're uh, gleaning mostly public available data, um, whereas Matt and Kieran have stuff that's a little more sensitive per artist. Um, are, are your guys as artists comfortable kind of sharing that amongst? amongst themselves, so everyone under the applause umbrella. Um, you know, if I was an aspiring country mu music artist, I'd be interested to see how I kind of stack up against your other country mu music artists and, you know, you know what, my, what my ticket sales were, merch sales were, um, you know, locations I should be hitting that aren't on my tour that other people are making money on. Are, are they comfortable kind of sharing that amongst themselves or? It's a great question. Um, I find it really depends on where they are in their career. I think the more successful an artist gets, the more that data is under lock and key, and the more that data, uh, they have strict guidelines about what who, who can see it and what they can do with it once they see it. Um, earlier stage, like the very early stages of a career, we do talk to artists who, who, who use our system to manage things that are open to it, but I, I think mostly, they're, they're very open to the idea of sharing that sensitive information with people that they could potentially partner with. Um, as opposed to just making it publicly available for, for broad analysis or comparative analysis between other acts. I think if it's somebody like a manager or it's somebody who's a, a slightly larger act that they might be able to open for for a few dates on their tour, they're very willing to share that information. But as, as making it as available as you could get some of the public stuff from social platforms, I, I think there's a lot more trepidation, which is why we're super careful about how we handle that information, because it is sensitive. And, the, and again, the more the, the act scales up through those benchmarking um, you know, in career mil career milestones, it gets way more sensitive because there's more people involved and there's a lot, kind of a lot more at stake. Have you heard them request access to it before? Oh, absolutely. I mean, in our case, sorry to jump in. In our case, uh, you know, bands want to know how they're performing relative to other bands, either in the same genre or that are sort of playing the same markets. Um, for us, the question of data, I mean, specifically because we are so close to the transaction and we're so tied into the revenue uh, that an artist makes, you know, it's, it's extremely predictive of how an artist is doing. So the question of data ownership and stuff, we grapple with that all the time. I mean, practically every large agency in the world uses applause already. Uh, all the large management companies, the ones that you named earlier and more are already on applause and they're, and they're working with us. Um, and our current uh, thinking on this is that any data that is artist-specific um, will never be rolled up into aggregate data and shared with other artists. So the benefit of them for them to work with applause is to actually, uh, you know, learn from transactional and behavioral data that their fans exhibit. Uh, so we have an account manager who has access 
to what we call derived analytics. And I didn't show you guys that today because it's, it's really sensitive. Uh, but the artists and managers that work with us do get access to that. Um, so we, we are hoping that over time, as they use applause for more and more tours and more one-off shows, that they actually understand how their artist is performing over time in specific markets, as well as you know potentially how they benchmark on what we call derived analytics. Um, but the question of data ownership and what sort of applause owns and what the artist owns we've grappled with that quite a bit and for now we just tell the artists that they own everything so it that's just the tack that we've taken um savior thank you hi xavier um i have a quick question for leave regarding is the pandora artist marketing data now available in next sound um, or is that still separate Okay, so Pandora has their AMP platform, which most of you probably heard of. Next Big Sound is still, um, you know, we've, we were just acquired a few months ago. We've started integrating Pandora data into our platform uh, and figuring out how all of that looks. But yeah, we've started to, to bring it into Next Big Sound. Because it's, it's, it's so valuable to see all this data next to each other, you know? That's a big part of kind of what we believe in in Next Big Sound in terms of the, the amount of sources that we're tracking. You know, A, making sure that our users find these sources to be valuable. It's a constant ongoing conversation of feedback with the labels or with artists, or with managers of, you know, what data sources are you interested in having? And then being able to see how this behavior, you know, all works in aggregate. And if, if you are an artist manager or you work at a label or you're an artist, you're definitely one going, going to want to see, you know, when is my artist, um, you know, there's a big splash when I release a track on Spotify. What does that look like compared to Pandora? What does that look like compared to YouTube? Um, and being able to see this all side by side is definitely one of the, the added benefits of Next Big Sound. Cool. And then can I ask a quick follow-up question? And then on the, um, the ticketing, and I mean, I have a touring act. We do 1,000 to 3,000 cap venues. Um, when is the transparency in the data side going to be like more on the con ticketing conversions and stuff? That's one of the biggest problems we're seeing is, you know, we were dealing with ticket counts and ticket conversions through a company called Jamblify, and then mm -hmm. we were using, um, now we're using Ticketmaster 360, but I feel like it's... Well, you, don't have, you shouldn't be using any of those products. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. But <laughs> it's, yeah. We've already solved this problem, sorry. But can you only do, but, but with applause, can you sell more than 10% of your allotments for tickets? So yes and no. It depends on so, who the promoter yeah. is. Um, you know, it depends on uh, whether we get more allotments. So in Europe, we typically do about 25% of the house of every single show that that we work with for our artists, including arenas and stadiums. Um, in the US, we typically are capped at eight to 10% in Ticketmaster rooms. We are working, you know, closely with some of those companies to solve some of those bottlenecks. Uh, there are a few. Uh, there are just a few. Um, pieces of information that we already collect, like click-through rates and stuff for the entire 100%. But the granular data that comes with conversions, we only provide for our own platform. So to answer your question, I mean, um, you know, you, you could use, you know, multiple analytics tools to understand traffic and behavior and transactional information for your fans. <coughs> But we feel like bifurcating that and then trying to make sense of it um, actually is a waste of time for you. You know, um, our goal in the end is 
to create a business intelligence tool that provides you know a real way for you to action on on certain things um, if your conversion rates are low in a specific market you want to be able to um, you want to be able to action on it and then track whether that conversion rate actually improves currently I can go on record saying this, we are the only platform in the world that allows you to do that. There is no other platform that does that. You know, so, um, you know, working uh, with multiple platforms, you could probably uh, do the same thing. It would just be a lot harder and it would be a lot more work for you. One, one last question, um, right there. Um, he's over here. Uh, this question is for Aaron. Um, there are a lot of venues out there in the country, and I'm curious, in all different sizes, I'm curious to know how you go about tracking performances. And the sort of second part of this question is, um, how open are the PROs to actually using this data to you know, segment out their fees to pay the artists that sure. are getting the performances? Uh, both good questions. So um, we are going to work with the rights organizations to get these devices out to all of those different establishments out there. So that's how we're going to get in there, collect the data. Um, we're partnered with GraceNote for the recognition part of, of our solution. So that's how we're going to actually identify what's being played and performed in these establishments. Um, I think you're, you're seeing an increase uh, to or in the reception of the rights organizations to really utilize this data for those those purposes. I think there's a lot of calls within the industry to increase transparency. Uh, the PROs are getting a lot of slack from the Department of Justice and, and a number of other factors. So they have a, a real strong incentive to also utilize this information and you know distribute more uh, accurately. Sure. For um, artists that don't have recordings or new stuff, do they have the ability to just submit, let's say, like a play or a, like a set list or something? You know. Uh, well, well, all the rights organizations already have a platform where you can submit a set list. Mm -hmm. The problem is most artists typically do not do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I won't divulge their um, usage rates, but it's it's pretty dismal when you think yeah. about it. You know, I used to be a performing musician, and the last thing you want to do at the end of a night is uh, submit your set list to your PRO because you don't really think about it. Even, or even if you do think about it, you don't really quantify it in terms of your overall career. You're thinking, all right, this is just 50 bucks or 100 bucks or something like that. But that adds up when you're playing hundreds of these shows a year over 10 years or more. So um, yeah, it, you already should be submitting your set list if you're not. Um, now, if you haven't released music yet, then, you know, um, you want to make sure that you're still registered to a PRO because conceivably at some point you are going to release music. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to thank you all for coming and thank, thank you to the panelists. Great.